And our mission, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. That's never going to change as long as I'm your pastor. We're going to keep telling people about Jesus and disciple them for, for, for the glory of, of God, Lord. And so with that, we're going to continue. We've got a few more messages. Uh, I've kind of mapped out the rest of uh, this series. We've been calling this series, How God Makes Bad Men Good, the Book of Romans. And so hopefully from decades from now, you'll go, hey, what's the Book of Romans about? It's about how God changes us, and he changes us through the imputed righteousness of Christ. Not that we're good, but Jesus is good. And upon faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross and his resurrection, his goodness is imputed to to us so we are seen as good by the father again not in us but because of what his son did with that turn to romans chapter 13 romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 7 i'm calling this message submission and obedience now i'm calling this message submission obedience but i really considered having a different message i considered calling this message pastor john's least favorite scripture I, I thought about that. And if you know Romans chapter 13, maybe you feel the same way about this scripture as I do. But I thought that might be a little out of line. So instead, I'm calling this submission and obedience because really that's what we're talking about today. So let me ask you, as I've had to ask myself this, as I've wrote this message, as I kind of pondered this out and put this together. But are you submissive? Are you obedient? Are you submissive and are you obedient to God because he is the primary author of the text that we're going to read today? If you don't know, I hope you know, you should know by now. We've been doing this long enough. But the Apostle Paul, he writes the, the letter to the church of Rome. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is God. God is the primary author of what we are reading here today. So are you, am I, are we submissive and obedient to God? Let me remind you of what we've learned so far in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to Romans chapter 3, 20, is all about the wrath of God. How we are sinners and our sin separates us from God. That, that's the first section of the book. But then we come to Romans chapter 3, 21, all the way through 8, 39, and it's all about the grace of God. And if you don't know this, you need to know this, but the grace of God is greater than the wrath of God. Then Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, and it was about Israel's past, present, and future. Then we came to Romans chapter 12. And I called Romans chapter 12 the graduation chapter. That is, if you understand Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11, it's time you graduate and you do something with that which you know. Romans chapter 12 was about how we are to be a living sacrifice. It was about how we are to be serving in the church, using the gifts that God has given us. And as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people, right? There are some people that don't want to get along with us, and that, that's okay. We are to leave them to the wrath of God. That's what Paul told us in that chapter. And now we come to Romans chapter 13. In Romans chapter 13, we're going to be told to do some things that for some people is going to be pretty difficult. I mean, for some, this is going to be more difficult than being a living sacrifice. It's going to be more difficult than being doing your role in the body with everything you've got. It's going to be more difficult than, than, than loving some really unlovable people. Now, if you know Romans chapter 13, you know we're about to read. And if you don't know, let's just, just go ahead and, and jump in and read Romans chapter 1, or excuse me, 13 verse 1. Paul writes, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. 
For there is no authority except from God. And those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Now, if you're one that likes to ignore this text, then really just go ahead and cut it out of your Bible. Just just tear the beginning of Romans chapter 13 right out. But really, then you got to go and tear out the rest of Romans chapter 13. But don't stop there. Go ahead and tear out Romans chapter 12 all the way through Romans chapter 16 because this is the application section of, our, of, of Romans. But if you do that, go ahead and start in, in verse 1, chapter 1, verse, and rip all of Romans out because the same man wrote Romans chapter 3 and 5 and 8 that wrote Romans chapter 13. And let me remind you that he was inspired by God when he wrote that. Now, if we do that, then let's go ahead and let's get an exacto knife and turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 22, and exacto knife out the part where Jesus said, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. Now, I know that there's none of us here that would ever dare do that. But that is effectively what we're doing when we fail to recognize this scripture. If you don't know this, I hope you know this, this is a Southern Baptist church. And one thing that sets Southern Baptist church apart from other denominations is we follow the entire canon of scripture. Even the parts we don't like, right? We need to do what this, what the scripture calls us to do. In order to do that, we really need to read this in the context in which it was written. We need, we need to do this with all scripture. We need to consider the author, who he's writing to, interpret the scripture, hopefully interpret correctly, and then apply it if, if the, the scripture applies to us. Well, guess what? This is written to believers. So if you're a believer, this text applies to you. Back in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. When he said brothers, he meant fellow believers. So if you are a believer, if you've been saved by the grace of God, if you place saving faith in Jesus Christ, then this text applies to you. And and before somebody comes up to me after service and says, but Pastor John, and then insert some reason why we don't have to follow this, let me just say, let me be transparent, I don't like this text any more than you do. I don't. I don't like, I don't enjoy, I don't look forward to submitting to the governing authorities. But I don't get to pick which scripture I follow. I don't pick and choose what I will follow, what I'm not based off of my preferences. Isn't that what the liberal Christians do? Right? Yeah, you've heard them say, oh, judge not. Jesus said, judge not. So you know what that means? That means, therefore, we should never judge anyone, anytime, anywhere. Just let people do whatever they want and never tell anybody they're wrong, right? And then they completely ignore the rest of Scripture, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, right? Don't be that guy. That's what I'll say that. Don't be that guy. In case you're wondering who the governing authorities are, in the Greek, it is huperkiko exousia. I'm not going to ask you to pronounce that, but that's how you say that in Greek. Huperkiko means the prominent men. It means the rulers. Exousia is the authorities that manage the domestic affairs. So very clearly, Paul is talking about our government. And there are some that want to translate this as the church. 
Um, and if that's the way you want to translate, that means me, because I am the governing official of the church or whatever. That's a terrible translation of this verse. Don't translate it that way. Um, I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek as a joke, but that's really your two choices, okay? But Paul isn't talking about the church here. He is very clearly talking about the elected officials, our government. Consider this. Who are the governing officials when Paul pens this letter? What's the Roman Empire? The Roman Empire had conquered the Mediterranean world at this time, and they are the ones that are, that are ruling Israel, Judea, and when Paul writes this letter. Let me tell you, get out of line with Rome, and you will be sorry. They will crucify you, not figuratively, but literally. Get out of line, and they will burn your city to the ground. And they do that so the neighboring cities know, don't mess with Rome. Mess with Rome, and, and you will be very sorry. Well, in the Roman government, it was led by a man. He was a single man. He was called a Caesar. Well, who was the Caesar when Paul wrote this letter? It was a man named Nero. Nero was wicked. Nero maybe was one of the most wicked men on the planet in the history of time. Nero ruled Rome from 37 AD to 68 AD. I'm going to try to keep this as PG as possible because... What this guy did was sick. He was a man that routinely had relations with his mother. And then when he discovered his mother was a threat to his power, he had his own mother murdered. He, he had many mistresses, but he had one who said was his favorite mistress by the name of Pompeia Sabina. And then when she became pregnant, he himself kicked her in the stomach until it killed the baby. And then later there's complications due to a dead child in her and she died. And then Nero claimed that he loved Pompeia Sabina so much, he, he, he said, I got to find another woman that just looks like her. And then when he couldn't find a woman that looks like her, he found a little boy and dressed him up like a, a girl, had a procedure done. Yeah, picture that 2,000 years ago. Nero was sick. He was sick. And that is the background in which Paul writes Romans chapter 13. He says, submit to the governing officials. So let's, let's, cons- I, the, when we re- let's dive back into this text, and I want to consider four ways that Christians should relate to our government. Okay, Here, Here's the first way. We have to consider our role with the government. Pick up your Bibles again. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 again. Paul writes, let every person be subject to the governing officials. Here's my first point for the, this morning. Point number one, submit to the government. Not terribly deep, but that's what that text tells us to do, to submit to the government. That means you, that means me, that means we are to submit to the governing officials. And I know you don't like that. You know how I know you don't like that? Because I don't like that. We're in this boat together. And and just in case you're thinking, well, this still doesn't apply to me, jump down to verse 5. Verse 5 of Romans chapter 13, Paul says, therefore, one must be in subjection. Must be. This isn't a suggestion. This is a command. We are commanded by God to be in subjection. So then the basic role of every citizen, including the Christian citizen, is to help carry the burdens of the government by submitting to it. And remember who is the government? Who's the leader at this time? The highest in the flow chart? Nero. 
I mentioned this to you last week, but it bears mentioning it again. But, but Nero was a guy that would grab Christians, dip them in tar, and then impale them on spikes so that he could light them and use them as human candles so he could light his garden at night. In the context of that, Nero thought he was this great chariot racer, and he always wanted to run his chariots at night. And since the light bulb hasn't been invented yet, he just turned Christians into human light bulbs. Kind of wicked, right? So the question you're going to ask, what do you do when you live in a world that is ruled by a Nero? What do you do when you live in a world that is ruled by a Joseph Stalin or a Mao Zedong? What do you do? What do the Christians do? Paul would say, be subject. And you're thinking, why? You don't have to tell me. I know you're sitting here you're like, why, Pastor John? You give me one good reason. Well, let's read Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2 again. Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from, what's the word? God. There's no authority except from God. And those who exist have been instituted by who? Say it, God. Very good. They've been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur, what's the word? Wrath. My Bible says judgment, right? It's like, whoa. Well, hey, if you don't like this text, take it up with God. Don't take it. I did not write this text. I would, John would have written this definitely, but I'm not, I'm not the inspired, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is Paul. I'm just the mailman delivering it. Hopefully the mailman in the room appreciate that, right? I didn't write this. Paul begins right where we ought to begin. That's with the sovereignty of God. God, he's the real God. He, he calls the shots. We don't call the shots. But here's the, Paul's point is that there's only one source of power. And that source is God. And it doesn't matter how good or how poorly that power is using their power. They've been placed there by God. I mean, think of some biblical examples from the very pages of our Bibles. How about Pharaoh? Pharaoh was a wicked man. He was a terrible ruler. Yet in Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, the Lord God said to Pharaoh, for this reason, I have raised you up that I might show my power. Do you hear the pronouns in there? God's the one that put Pharaoh in place. How about Nebuchadnezzar? Daniel said to that king, the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. God's the one that puts Nebuchadnezzar and guys like Pharaoh in, in, in power. How about a, an example from our New Testament, I would point to Pontius Pilate. It, it, was, it was after the scourging where he had a, a man with a cat of nine tails rip the flesh off of Jesus, and then Jesus stands nose to nose with, with, with the Pontius Pilate and says, you have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. That verse sends chills down my spine, like, wow. This is want you to know there has never been anyone, anytime, anywhere in the history of the world ever in power that was not put there by God. And I know this is something that we wrestle with. We struggle with that. We question God, what he's doing. And that's one, re- one reason why I think God does that is so that we never put our hope and faith and trust in any government. 
Hear me on this, church. There will never be a righteous government. It will never happen. It's never going to happen until Jesus is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. If you didn't know this, you need to know this. There will come a day where King Jesus, he's going to sit on a throne in Jerusalem. He's going to rule and reign. And then we will have the government we've been wanting for. I know you don't like government. I know you don't like it because I don't like it. You know, and who else knows that? King Jesus knows that. But none of them will be up to snuff until Jesus is, is literally on his throne in Jerusalem. Until that day comes, we are to submit, be subject to the governing authorities that have been placed there by God. And if we are to be subject to them, you're like, what's the purpose? That's the question. You're okay. You're, that's the next thing you're sitting there asking yourself. What is the purpose? What is the purpose behind me submitting to a bunch of wicked dictators? Paul knew we were going to ask that question. He really did. Grab your Bibles. Romans chapter 13, verse number 3. The word of God says, For rulers are not a terror for good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear a sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Here's my second point this morning. Point number two, submit to the government because it protects and punishes. That's the reason for government. To protect and punishment. Hey, why is a government even needed? To protect and punish. Paul says that rulers are not a terror for good work, but for evil. The government exists to lay the hammer down on evil. And I know we're all on the same page. And that's why the defund, the police movement, is one of the dumbest things anybody has ever come up with. They're there to protect and punish did, did you see the word that Paul used to describe the governing officials in that text? Paul called them servants. Well, if you study that word, break it down the Greek and read it, it's the word diakonos. That's where we get our word deacons from. Okay? So the government is God's deacon. That tells us that, that the governing authorities, not only are they God's servants, but they're also appointed by God. So that tells you if you see a police officer, you see a government official, we should thank them for their service. And there's some that we, I know that we're quick to disrespect and we're to belittle, but we shouldn't do that. I know that would come natural to us, but the word of God says don't do that. We're much quicker to see some, uh, a sheriff's deputy, a police officer, or our men and women to serve in the different armed service and thank them. And we should do that. The truth is, according to the word of God, they all deserve our respect and our thanks. I heard a story of a, of a sitting governor. And the sitting governor of some state, I wasn't told what state, he was running for a re-election. And so it was a Sunday morning. He was run, busy running around the state to this event, to that event. And, and he didn't have time to make the church service. But he made it to the potluck that was later that day, like a good Baptist. I'm sure he must have been making the potluck, but not church. But anyways... Uh, and he's working hard, talking to this person, that person. He hadn't eaten all day. And so when it comes time for the, for the potluck, he, he gets in line and he's going down the line. And he's getting his food and he's famished. 
And he hands his plate out to the lady handing out the chicken, and she takes one little drumstick and puts it on his plate. He's like, man, I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm hungry. I need some more chicken. And he said, I'm sorry, ma'am. No, I'm, I'm really hungry. Do you suppose I could have an extra piece of chicken? And the lady said, sorry, one per, one per, per church member. And he's the governor, and he's kind of a modest and unassuming man, but he decided he's going to throw around some weight because he's really hungry. And he said, um, excuse me, ma'am, do you know who I am? I'm the governor of this state. And she said, do you know who I am? I'm the lady that hands out the chicken. Move along, sir. God established human government. The reason, because we're sinners. We're sinners and we have to have authority over us. And God has given the government the power and the authority to punish those that break the law. The problem is, here's the problem. And God knows this is a problem. He knew this is a problem when we came up with the solution. That the, the guys that are in power... They're sinners too, just like you and me. And so there's times when they abuse the power that's been given them to God. But we are to submit to the government. We are to submit to the government because it protects and it punishes. But now we come to the how. Because that's the next question. Okay, we know who, we know why, but how, Pastor John? We want to know how we're to submit to the government. Well, Paul knew you were going to ask that question too. Look at the next text, verse number 6. Of Romans chapter 13. He says, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For the, I know, right? Ow, I didn't like that one either. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay them to all what is owed to, owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Here's my third point. Submit to the government by paying your taxes. Like, Pastor John, this is the worst sermon ever. I know, <laughs> I know, but I'm just, I'm just delivering the news, okay? So the question, how do we submit that we submit by paying our taxes? That hurt anybody's feelings? I step on any toes? I know the answer is yes. <laughs> okay. Like this is the most offensive sermon in the history of, but anyways, have you ever thought of the IRS agents as God's ministers? Uh, no, but that's what Paul said, right? That's exactly what he said. So Paul says here, pay your taxes because that's how the government protects and punishes. So we have a twofold response here. Okay. Number one, the government should be supported. And we do that by paying our taxes. But the second fold response, we said the government should be respected. We can disagree with the government. Okay? But they must be supported and they must be respected. Listen to how Paul tells a young pastor about this. And his name was Timothy. Read in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, first of all then, I urge that supplication, prayers intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Verse 2 for kings, time out. Who is the king that is Caesar when Paul pins this? Nero. Like, whoa, Paul. Yeah. Verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions, that they may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of God the Savior. So Romans chapter 13 tells us to pay our taxes. Because when we pay our taxes, that's how we support the government. 
even if your money goes to a cause you don't like. You can try to go against the government, but let me know how that goes for you, okay? You're going to go ahead and lead Crosspoint's new prison ministry, only you'll be doing it from the inside, right? Uh, but uh, let's consider how taxes were collected 2,000 years ago. You know, today we have a nice lady does our, low, our taxes and turns it in and you pay the check. How were co- taxes collected 2,000 years ago? Because Rome, what they did, they came to your country, they moved in, they set up shop, they ruled with an iron fist, and they recruited your neighbor to collect taxes on you. They, what Roma do, they say, we need X amount of money from this area. Now, whoever was the tax collector, again, was one of your neighbors, most likely. They got the job to collect taxes on you. So X amount, that is their quota. Anything they collected above and beyond that, they got to stick in their pocket, right? They are incentivized to overtax their own countrymen, okay? And you're, well, who got the job? Let me tell you who got the job. It's whoever had the biggest bribe to go to the Roman official. That's who got the job. And then they taxed like everything. They taxed everything. You want to carry something across a bridge? Tax. You want to carry something through a gate? Tax. You want to build a home? Tax. You want to renovate your home? Tax. Like sounds familiar to me, Pastor John. I know. It was serious mafia shakedown type stuff was going on there. And this is the world Jesus Christ is born into. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And as soon as he came on the scene, everybody wanted him to be a political Messiah. They wanted Jesus to take political sides. There was this Jewish belief that the Messiah, he was going to come, he was going to rule, he was going to reign, he was going to be a political Messiah. He was going to break the, the, the oppressive yoke of the Romans. That's what they taught. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he spoke. And he didn't preach on political insurrection. He never preached a culture war. He never tried to overturn the tax codes. He, he never really addressed social issues. I mean, they're a little, but not to the, anywhere to the extent that people wanted him to. And there was plenty of social issues to go around. He could have spoke on slavery. Didn't do it. He could have spoken on the bad treatment of orphans or widows, and he didn't do it, right? Was he aware of those things? Clearly, Jesus was aware of those things. Did those things break his heart? Yes, they broke his heart. But Jesus knew there was a greater need. And Jesus didn't come to start a social revolution. Jesus came to start a spiritual revolution. He did. Jesus came to save people. Souls of men and women that are going to hell. That's why he came. Came came for the gospel, right? You see... He came because he knew if, if people got saved and saved people, they changed their lifestyles, right? So if you want to save a country, you get a person saved. And you get a person saved, then you get a family saved. You get a family saved, then you get a community saved. And you get a community saved, and then everything changes, right? Jesus knew that. And there were people that weren't happy with Jesus for trying to do things that way. We want to do things our way, Jesus. Do it the way we demand. Jesus, no. And people wanted Jesus to take political sides. So you have two groups coming together and teaming up against Team Jesus. But because the Pharisees, they wanted Jesus to side with the Pharisees. And the Sadducees, they wanted Jesus to side with the Sadducees. The Herodians wanted Jesus to side with the Herodians. And the Zealots wanted Jesus to side with the Zealots. There's all these groups pulling Jesus in all these different directions. And he didn't, he didn't budge, right? 
Since Jesus sided with none of them, you see these groups teaming up to go against Jesus. You see the Herodians and the, the Pharisees coming together to, to try to slip Jesus up on a, on a tax question. Read in Mark chapter 12, verse 13. It says, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, listen to just how grandiose and just, they're, they're sucking up to him. This is sickening. Teacher. We know that you are true and don't care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Here's our question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Hear the flattery in their question. They're sucking up to Jesus. Jesus knew this was a trap. He knows these two groups have come together and conspired to try to get him to say something's going to get him in trouble. Read verse 15. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius. Let me see. Let me look at it. And they brought him one. And he said to them, whose likeness is inscriptions on it? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render the Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. You think that made Jesus popular with the people? No. No, that did not make him popular because they wanted to hear him say, stop paying your taxes. That's what they wanted him to say. That's not what Jesus said. Instead, he commands them to pay their taxes. Let me say the other side of the proverbial coin is to give to God what's God's. That's your heart. Go back to Romans chapter 13. God is honored when his earthly representatives, that's us, are seen as stabilizers, not rebels. So here's the issue, okay? Here, here's the main issue. A good Christian is a good citizen. Not only because of the laws that are imposed on Christians, but Paul says in verse 5, he says, for conscience, for, but also for conscience sake. Why should we pay taxes? So we have a clear conscience. Like, I don't care. So no, don't, don't do that. The point of Romans chapter 13 is that God is the ultimate authority. And the ultimate authority tells us to submit to the governing authorities. If he says that, then we need to do that. Because if we don't do that, then we are not submitting to the ultimate authority who is God. Now, I'm going to go ahead and save you the trouble, the hassle of coming up and speaking to me after church about the governing officials. I know you're going to say it. You're going to say, Pastor John, where's the line? I need to know the line. Is there a line? Is there ever a time for civil disobedience? And the answer is yes. Here you go. You're like, this is the part I've been waiting for, Pastor John. I know. Read Romans chapter 13, verse 5. Paul says, therefore, one must be in subjection. Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Here's point number four, and I think you're going to like this one a little better. Point number four, submit to the government until it violates your conscience. Okay? Did you know that you have a conscience and your conscience is given to you by God? And God has commanded you to submit to the government. So what we need to do is we submit to the government. And we, 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 we submit to the government until the government violates God's commands. So here's, here's a two-step process. Pro, step number one, don't stop paying your taxes. And step two, don't violate God's commands in order to obey the government's commands. Okay? 
What should we do if our government passes a law that says, okay, only one child per household, and then you get pregnant? And then according to the government's commands, we have to go down to the government-appointed abortion clinic and terminate that baby. We say, no way. That's not going to happen. Take me to jail. Find me whatever you want. Put me in prison. Beat me. I don't care. I'm not following that command. Keep paying your taxes, but don't follow that command. The, the government has passed all sorts of wicked laws in recent history that should violate a Christian's conscience. 170 years ago, it was legal for an American citizen to own another human being. Should never do that. I don't care if it's law. Don't do that. A Christian should never own another human being. That is sin. 75 years ago in Germany, it was perfectly legal to treat a person of Jewish descent of less than an animal. There is no way that a Christian should sit by, stand and watch another human being be subjugated to the horrors that the Jewish population was subjugated to in the 1940s by the hands of the Nazis. Today, we are told that a little boy can say, oh, I'm a little girl, or a little girl can say, oh, I'm a little boy, and we're told to say, hey, that's fine. No, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to go along with it because that is wicked. I also understand the harm that is done to that little child when we play, we play this game. I'm not going to stand by and say it's okay. Here's the principle. We submit to the government right up until the point where obeying the government means disobeying God. When the government says, don't do this, and God said, do this, we go ahead and do this, and we reap the consequences. If the government says the opposite, then we, do the, 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 then we follow God's commands no matter what. There are countless examples of this within the pages of our Bibles of exactly what we're talking about here. Go back to Exodus. Pharaoh said, kill all the little baby, Jewish baby boys. Thank you, God. Moses' mom said, not my boy. Right? Nebuchadnezzar ordered Daniel and his buddies to eat food that God said don't eat. Daniel and his buddies wanted to keep their kosher diet. So they kept their kosher diet. It was civil disobedience. That same King Nebuchadnezzar, he builds a giant statue and makes a law that you have to bow down and worship it. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, not going to happen. I'm not going to worship that statue. And they refused to do it. And they faced the consequences for disobeying the government. They got tossed in a fiery furnace. Now, fortunately for them, Jesus stood in the furnace with them. But maybe we have to disobey the government. Maybe we get tossed in a fiery furnace. Maybe Jesus rescues us. Maybe he doesn't. But we still remain obedient to God no matter what. Hey, we need a New Testament example, Pastor John. Well, there was a day when the Jewish Sanhedrin, they passed a law that said you cannot mention the name of Jesus in, in, in Israel. And Peter and John said, hey, I, I got this sermon for you, a sermon called, have you ever heard of a man named Jesus? And they went and they preached that sermon. It was a great sermon. <laughs> and then the, 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 the powers of be said, why are you doing this? We passed a law. Don't you know we passed a law that you can't, you can't, Speak the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. That's civil disobedience because to obey man would mean disobey God. They said, we'd rather offend the government than to offend God. There's other examples we could point to. 
you don't know who Diedrich Bonhoeffer is, he disobeyed the government, cost him his life. Corey Ten Boom, she went ahead and disobeyed the government, thrown in a Nazi concentration camp. Her sister died. How about us today? Real life examples. Well, our government could today, tomorrow, pass a law that says we must recognize and perform same-sex unions. What are we going to do when when a same-sex couple comes here and demands that we perform and put our stamp of approval on their union? Here's what I say. Not going to do it. And then you can drag me off to prison, stick me in jail, and then someone else has to come and stand here and preach the Sunday morning service. Then hopefully join me in prison soon after. Here's the deal. A Christian is to be a good citizen right up until the point where being a good citizen means being a bad Christian. That, that, that's the rule. That could sum up the whole thing right there. A good Christian is to be a good citizen right up until being a good citizen means becoming a bad Christian. Now, part of being a good citizen means paying your taxes. Pay your taxes. Clearly, based off this scripture, there's never a time when we should hold our taxes. I know we want to. Don't do that. Okay? It doesn't matter how bad they are. Keep sending in your check. As much as it pains you, it pains me. I don't like it either. Because the government is the tool in the hands of a holy God to punish evildoers. I'd be remiss if I didn't say this, but... We are commanded under threat of jail time to pay our taxes. So we need to be paying our taxes. So there's a command in our Bible to pay our taxes. There's also a command in our Bible to pay our tithe, but yet you're not going to get any jail time if you don't do that. I just say, how's your conscience doing with that? We'll leave that for you, and let's just move along on that one. But I want to close this service, and I want to remind us of a, t- a, me- a, a scripture I mentioned earlier. Okay. Back when the Herodians came up and they teamed with the Pharisees to come against team Jesus. And they tried, they tried to trap Jesus, say, don't pay your taxes. And if Jesus would have said that, that would land him in jail. And Jesus didn't say that. And we read Mark's gospel account, but I want to close with how Matthew records it. Read in Matthew 22, verse 17. This is the Herodians and the Pharisees speaking. They say, tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Verse 18, but Jesus, aware of their malice, said to them, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? See that word, hypocrites. Matthew records where Jesus called them hypocrites. Verse 19, show me a coin for the tax. And they brought to him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness is, is inscript, inscription is on it. They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to him, therefore render to Caesar the things are Caesar's, and to God the things are God." So the biggest difference between Mark's account and Matthew's account is one word, hypocrites. It's so hypocritical not to give your life, your heart, your soul to God. We all know there's a God. We all know, whether you want to admit or not, there is a God. And we deep down, we know it. Why won't you give him your heart? Jesus said, therefore, render to Caesar the things of Caesar and to God the things that are God. Here, I'll pray, paraphrase what Jesus just said. Pay your taxes and give your soul to God. Here's the truth. We're all sinners. You, me, the person next to you, we're all sinners. And our sin separates us from a holy, perfect, loving God. And there's nothing we can do. We cannot build a ladder high enough to get us to heaven by our our good works, our acting right, blah, 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 blah. It's never going to get us there. What we need, we need God to come down to us. That's what happened with Jesus. He came and he led this perfect life to the cross. And he gave his soul. 
buried in a tomb and rose again on the third day. If you place your faith in that and that alone, the Bible says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. If you've never done that, I tell you, this is the time to do it. Pay your taxes, but give your soul to God. There must come a moment where you cry out to him. You recognize you're a sinner. You ask for forgiveness and you give him your life. You say, dear Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Save me from my sins. I give my life to you. And I say this in the perfect, precious name of Christ. Amen.